the book of John, chapter 12. <clears throat> the book of John, chapter 12. Our scripture reading will come from verses 1 through 11, and the text is related to Mary, who anoints Jesus out of her love and her thankfulness for what he has done. And I hope that the Lord will use this passage in your life as he has in mind to remind us of what it means to simply to give thanks as an expression of her love for the Lord, an expression of her thankfulness to the Lord in contrast to the other character who, who responds with indignation at her expression of love for Christ. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. The scriptures read, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, whom was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your goodness, for who you are, and for the love that you have for us, the sacrifice of your Son. We pray, O oh Father, that our love for him might also grow, that we too might be people who express our gratitude to you, for you alone are deserving of all glory. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. It is always good to hear the children share, especially on this Sunday. It is good to have them here and to hear what they have on their hearts. It gives glory to God. It's helpful for them as well. Helpful for them to have an attitude of thankfulness. In fact, even the world thinks so. In a book entitled In Making Grateful Kids, Jeffrey Froh is a school psychologist, and Dr. Jeffrey Froh summarizes his team's research on the benefits of gratitude among adolescents. He says, quote, we found that grateful young adolescents ages 11 to 13, compared to their less grateful counterparts, are happier, are more optimistic, have better social support from family and friends, 
are more satisfied with their school, family, community, friends, and themselves, and give more emotional support to others. They're also physically healthier, report fewer physical symptoms such as headaches, stomach aches, and runny noses. We've also found that grateful teens, age 14 to 19, compared to less grateful teens, are more satisfied with their lives, use their strengths to better their community, are more engaged in their school work and hobbies, have higher grades, and are less envious, depressed, and materialistic." Unquote. Isn't it interesting what the world finds out that the scriptures tell us that we ought to already do? As the scriptures remind us in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Or Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, straightforward. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Having a thankful attitude is a choice. It, we choose to obey God, and we choose to have a thankful attitude. We choose not to complain. We choose to give thanks. And in today's text, there are two attitudes that could not be starkly in contrast with one another than that of Mary and Judas. One, out of her heart of love and thankfulness to the Lord Jesus, is giving. The other attitude is that which stems from selfishness, and it is greed. One is giving, and one is greedy. One is displayed by Mary, who gives her best to Jesus, who raised Lazarus from the dead, and the other is displayed by Judas, who not only complains about money, but he is a selfish thief. So we look at the first expression of thankfulness and love towards the Lord Jesus here in verses 1 to 3. It says, Jesus... Therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead, and they made him a supper there. Now, the Apostle John, who writes this gospel, writes about Jesus, who is here six days, less than one week before his crucifixion, the night before his triumphal entry in which he will travel to Jerusalem with throngs of people who will line the road, welcoming him into Jerusalem as a city, singing his praises. He comes to Bethany on this night and in parallel passage with Matthew, who tells us that this is at the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Now, we don't know anything about Simon the leper other than that he was apparently healed by Jesus because no person with leprosy would have otherwise been able to host a gathering such as this. But he would have been considered an outcast, someone who was blessed by Jesus, who opened his home to Jesus for this special meal. And Jesus was invited here, and here he was with another individual named Lazarus who had healed earlier. And as was characteristic of Martha, she was busy serving, and there was Mary. There was Mary, who out of her expression of love and thankfulness towards Jesus, expresses it in two particular ways. Number one, she expresses it in giving her very best to the Lord, and number two, she does so without being ashamed. She expresses her love and thanksgiving to the Lord by giving her best to the Lord, and she does it without being ashamed. It tells us in the text, Mary took 
a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, this was the second time that Jesus' feet had been anointed. You might recall in Luke chapter 7, there was another woman, a prostitute who had been forgiven. She also anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That incident happened in Galilee. Here, Mary comes. She takes a pound of pure nard. Now, this was a pound in those days. It was about 12 ounces. And as we hear from Judas here, it was worth some 300 denarii. 300 denarii. One denarii was equal to about one day's wage. So this was 300 days of wages. So you add in the feast that they had. You add in the Sabbath that they practiced. It was roughly a year's salary. So you think to yourself of how much you make in an entire year and spending all of that money on a bottle of perfume or a canister of perfume. One year's wages. She gave a tremendous amount to the Lord. And it was very, very precious. In those days, you recall, there were two things that were very valuable. They were perfume and they were colored garments. You probably remember Lydia, the seller of purple fabric. She was a high-end seller. They had restrictions on that color of purple because it was only sold to those who were of royalty or importance. Those were the two items in ancient times that were very valuable. And here, perfume was extremely valuable. Sometimes people purchased it in order to be able to have some sort of investment for the future. Perhaps this was some type of savings. All of her savings could have been put there. It was easily tradable because it was a wanted commodity. This type of nard would have been imported, perhaps from northern India, a favorite place in which they would have perfume and was only opened on special occasions. And this was one such occasion in which Mary brings it out and anoints the feet of Jesus. She does so without being ashamed. Matthew and Mark have the same account. They say that she anointed his head and anointed his body. And you combine all three, she anointed him with this perfume. And not only that, she let down her hair in public to do so. An act which would have been considered shameful and even immoral for a respectable woman to do in public. And add to that, she wiped his feet with her hair. That job was considered degrading. It was considered a lowly job that was given to a lowly servant because feet were very unclean. She did it without shame, though, because of her love for the Savior. She gave him his very best out of love and gratitude without shame. She wasn't motivated because of some sort of thing that she might get for herself. They didn't have some sort of Roman tax deduction if she had given that. She wasn't motivated out of guilt. Obviously wasn't motivated because everyone else was doing it. No. She served and gave to God because of her love and her thanksgiving to God. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. The question for us is, how grateful are we? How grateful are we to God? You say, well, God didn't raise anyone that I know of my family from the dead. I sure would be as thankful. But think again, because God did raise you 
from the dead. The Bible tells us, if you're a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead, just like Lazarus. It continues on in Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did God do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Christ gave his life for you, saved you, and for that are you genuinely grateful that God raised your dead, an unresponsive soul to respond to him. Do we give to God? We serve God with who we are, giving of ourselves, giving of our lives, giving of our time and resources because of our love for the Savior. How deep is our love for the Lord? There's a story about a building engineer who is on a three-story scaffolding up high. And this building engineer was at a construction site, and he tripped and he fell toward the ground. And what would have been a fatal, fatal fall from three stories up, you imagine maybe this is about three stories, all the way from up there, all the way to the cement. But right underneath that scaffolding, there was a laborer who looked up and he saw this foreman, this engineer, falling. And he realized that this engineer would fall right where he was standing. And so what did he do? He braced his body and stood there. And he absorbed the full impact of that fall, that falling engineer. The engineer fell on him, and he was only slightly injured. But the laborer was severely injured. In fact, he was crushed. The collision fractured nearly every bone in his body, and he never fully recovered, and he was severely disabled. Years later, there was a reporter who came to this laborer. And he asked this former construction worker who has a, now a lifetime disability how the engineer has treated him since the accident. And that man who is now handicapped said this to the reporter, quote, he gave me half of all he owns, including a share of his business. He is constantly concerned about my needs and never lets me want for anything. Almost every day, he gives me some token of thanks or remembrance, unquote. Because that construction worker literally gave his life to save the life of this falling engineer, now lives in disability, that engineer is forever grateful, every day showing some type of token of thanks, giving him half of all that he owns, a portion of his business, and he can go on living his life, doing whatever he wants, but yet he is forever grateful for this laborer who was crushed so that he could have a normal life. Christians, on the other end, so easily forget how Christ was crushed, how he gave his life so that we could have life, so that we wouldn't fall all the way to hell. Christians can live in freedom from guilt. They can have joy unmatched. They can have a life. And yet Christians often do little or next to nothing to express their gratitude. They say thanks at a meal, twice thanks during Thanksgiving. For someone who has given 
their life for us. How much do you love Jesus? That building engineer didn't say to that laborer, hey, thanks, I appreciate it. Let me pay for a cup of coffee for you. How grateful are you to God for what he has done? Mary gave her very best. She gave what would be perhaps her life savings to anoint Jesus out of her love for him, out of gratitude, out of her devotion to him. But there is a second individual who, in contrast to Mary, is presented here. Verse 4, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put in it. Now, here, the fragrant smell of this this perfume permeated the room. There were the disciples. There was Lazarus. There was Martha. There was Mary. There was Simon the leper. There's others likely there. And Judas, in hypocritical piety, says, why wasn't this given and sold for 300 denarii? Criticism that came swift and quick. Why was it, quote-unquote, wasted? His motive was that of greed, not because he cared about the poor. Here it says he had the money box. He was the treasurer. He was the treasurer. Now you realize, as vile as we often see Judas, here he was, he was a trusted individual among all of the disciples. In fact, when Jesus later on said that one of you will betray me, no one suspected Judas. He was a trusted individual in the eyes of everyone there. Jesus knew his real heart's motive, but he was never a suspect from the other disciples Somebody who held the money box was trusted. He wanted to pilfer some of the money. But you can imagine Judas, too, in his own perspective, in his own mindset. Here, Jesus was just less than a week before his crucifixion. And all of the disciples, when they first came to Jesus, they were so very excited, weren't they? Here's the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. They wanted Jesus to establish this earthly kingdom in which Jesus would overthrow Rome, establish a kingdom, and make them as part of his royal officials. And his popularity grew. And you can imagine the mindset of the disciples as they saw thousands of people come forward. Jesus performed miracles and wow the people with his teaching. And his popularity continued to grow among the people as that is how his ministry began. But along with that, as Judas watched, he began to challenge them with difficult things, such as you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and they would not understand, and people would turn away. And his popularity began to sort of wane, and his conflict with the religious leaders began to grow. And finally, this time of confrontation with the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 12 would culminate in him withdrawing from a public ministry and focusing in more on his disciples. And so the crowds were not as hefty as before. Conflict was ensuing. And if you were looking from a worldly point of view like Judas might have, you might have thought, this is not a good business plan, Jesus. 
And here he was in his popularity, began to grow, and his conflict began to grow, and then his popularity began to wane. And not only that, Jesus began to not only say difficult things, but he began also to talk about his own death. He began to talk about his own death, and you can imagine here, Judas had dreams of being the secretary of treasury in Jesus' new kingdom, but all of that was fading away as Jesus began to talk about his death. And because he loved money so much, he obviously was concerned. He wouldn't have as much, and his greed began to take over. He feigned his phony philanthropy, and his objection his objection wasn't just a private whispering. Mark 14.4 tells us that their objection was heard by the rest of the disciples, and as many complaints do, they complain out loud, and then suddenly the others began to chime in in Mark 14.4. Some of them were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? The other disciples said, yeah, you know, you're right. Why in the world is Mary wasting this Money, what a waste. That's too much to give to God. That's too much to give to the Lord Jesus. You shouldn't waste all this money. The bad attitude and the complaining began to spread like the flu. Comments, though, came out of a selfishness and a greed. The book of Luke tells us in 22.3, this is where Satan entered the heart of Jesus. Matthew 26.14 tells us that right after this incident, then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and he sold and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? Hey, I didn't get a year's worth of wage, but what are you folks willing to give me? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. His greed, his love for money, played right into the hands of the chief priests, and he sold himself out. Pay the right price, and those who love money will sell out the Savior. Because if the cost is too high, those who love money will object. They will be like Judas, who go for the bottom line, who go for the bottom line. If it's too much, I will turn my back on God. That is how some say. They do. They do. What's your price? What is your price by which you'll turn? Will you sin for $20 or sin to save $200 or $2,000 or whatever it may be? The penalty we say in our mind's eye, that's not too much. Let's just compromise and do this or do that. Whatever that price is, you can bet Satan will dangle that carrot in front of you someday, somehow. Or are you more like Mary, surrendered all, gave all out of gratitude? You're more like Judas, who's out for gain because of his greed? Or are you more like Mary, who gave out of her gratitude? Well, Jesus answered and said, let her alone so she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And the crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus, he was there, and they came. They came. Not only for Jesus' sake, it says, but they might also see Lazarus, 
There were those who came and they were sort of like the looky-loos when there's an accident on the freeway, wanting to see Lazarus because he raised him from the dead. Chief priests, it says in verse 10, wanted to put Lazarus to death as well. They hated Jesus because, why? He had raised Lazarus, and because of on Lazarus' account, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. The Lord grants to us a picture here. The Lord grants to us a picture here, a simple picture of two key people. One who loves the Lord Jesus so much, is so grateful for all that he has done. He's willing to face shame and giving to Christ, and the other is not. The other is trapped by greed, ungrateful, complaining. When people look at your life, and what would they say? Would they say, they love God, and I can tell. They are so grateful. They share that verbally. They are generous to others. They share of their time or talent or they're sacrificial or they are like no one I've met, perhaps. Are you thankful? Are you thankful like that foreman who every day would give some sort of token or word of appreciation for that laborer who gave of his life years ago, never forgetting that the reason why they can live and walk is because of someone else. Songwriter writes, all that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you, O Lord. All my regrets, all my acclaims, the joy and the pain, I'm making them yours. Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through. Use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer my life to you. Things in the past, things yet unseen, wishes and dreams that are yet to come true, all of my heart all of my praise, my heart, and my hands are lifted to you. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, this Thanksgiving, may we be people of praise. May we be people who are ever grateful. Knowing, O oh God, that we were falling because of our own sin. Nothing we could ever do could save ourselves. But you gave your son, who was crushed for our transgression, who gave his life that we might live. Father, I pray, may we ever be grateful. May we ever give you praise. Whether it is in joy or pain, we offer it to you. Use us as you would see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.